Welcome back to Kaidan, Japanese Scary Stories. This is Ryoko. And this is Kat. So this week, we also, like last week, kind of have like a variety genre. <laughs> like a little Okinawa ghost stories and one ghost story <laughs> one that's also kind of like it could be something else. Yeah. Like a real one that has supernatural elements maybe <laughs> maybe maybe well you could listen to it and figure it out <laughs> it could go either way so before we go into the scary stories i wanted to maybe talk about how we got into scary story stuff yeah horror stuff yeah. so for me personally there's like a couple <laughs> aspects <laughs> that led into me really loving horror mm-hmm. i think yeah, I think there's definitely stuff that pushed it. Mm-hmm. One of them was uh, my cousins were super into horror stuff. So mm-hmm. whenever I'd visit Japan and visit their home, like they would have like horror comics, <laughs> videos, magazines, like everything all over. Did you say like they went to like haunted sightings? They all, always. <laughs> my mom would always like, I mean, I was too young, so they didn't really show me. But yeah. my mom would be like, yeah, like my cousins would be like, like a shadow here <laughs> like they take like a bunch of polaroids and stuff and they're like oh i see a face <laughs> and she loved um ito junji so oh, who's just an amazing horror yeah mangaka comic artist too, like uh me and my brother we also i mean there are other factors also but ito junji is definitely he's huge of, for a, huge a lot factor. of people like um we used to there was a comic book store back in my hometown that me and my brother would just like loiter and read comics, and that's where uh, I did we the read, same. Yeah, yeah, like that's when we read Uzumaki for the first mm-hmm. time, and my brother, I think he was like in third grade. He was just like, "Oh my god, read this! It's so creepy!" And we were just like both so into it, like third grade and fourth grade kids. I think I was though like three or four years old, <laughs> and, and it was stacked in the bathroom, so I would just. I mean, I'd, like, peek through it. Like, the cover was intense. I'd be, like, doing my business, and I'd see the covers and be like, ooh, scary. (laughs) But I'd, like, look through it, and I'd be like, ooh, scary. It's kind of like... But I'm, like, interested, yeah. But, yeah, like, you can't help it. And then it, like, briefly disappeared for a while, because I think my mom complained. (laughs) Because it's really intense. Like, some of the covers were really intense. Yeah. I mean, obviously the inside, too, but... Yeah. Yeah, but I really, I mean, now I love his comics. I know for sure. If my parents knew I was reading that stuff, they they would not have let me. <laughs> but thank God they were very hands off about like what my brother and I watched. <laughs> yeah. Read, so. So that was definitely one of them. Uh, another thing that definitely pushed my horror, <laughs> like love for horror, was um, there's a show called Punkikis. And it's like a <laughs> it's like a Japanese Sesame Street type show, but at the end of the episode, they had a super scary horror cartoon segment, <laughs> and it was called Hanako Sangakita or something like that. And she was based off of the toilet bound Hanako urban legend in Japan, and she was like a cute little girl, and she had like a little fuzzy sidekick, and she's supposed to save kids from being killed or attacked by like ghost spirits monsters Mm -hmm. 
but she only saved you like five out of ten times. So <laughs> it was very, it, <laughs> very low. There was a high chance you didn't, you died. <laughs> and there was just so many stories that like scarred me, scarred me so much. Because uh, as a child, you don't realize that sometimes you don't get saved yeah, by yeah. monsters. I mean, I think most um, children's programming, they I know always a, show that you get saved. Only in, the villains die. In America, there's goosebumps. And yeah. I also read that. But that was for a little bit like older crowd, I feel like, right? It's yeah, not I quite mean, Sesame Street I know age. When I was in elementary school, like first grade, all the kids were reading Goosebumps. I was ESL, so I was still reading picture books. But <laughs> um, yeah, like first grade would be like six or seven, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So this was pre like yeah elementary school for me. So it That's was just it was rough. Yeah, and there's a specific story that the the gist of it is there's like a story going around about like a girl that will come at night to cut your body apart but if you have a drawing of a banana and put it under your pillow you're safe like she won't cut you i remember the story so like in the end the girl who told the story to her friends doesn't draw the banana so then this ghost comes to cut her up Mm -hmm. but she's saved because her mother had put like a banana as a snack Mm -hmm. so she's she's fine but then the next day she went to school and her teacher had overheard the story mm-hmm. and the teacher didn't draw a banana or get a snack. So obviously the teacher was cut up into a million pieces and that's like the end of the story. <laughs> They're like, oh no, like she was cut up and killed. <laughs> so I was so traumatized by that. I had a drawing of a banana under my pillow for years. I remember you telling us the story when we were in college, and that night you drew a picture of a banana and stuck it underneath your pillow. Just in case. You, you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. You but... don't want to be that teacher. <laughs> yeah, my mom eventually just threw it away, and I just didn't notice. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm fine. But my mom said there was like other stories from that show, specifically the Hanako Sangakita show, where I like believed it so hard. Like I had drawn these like, talisman like as a like a little child i drew these like weird talismans type things and i I made like a belt out of it that i was wearing my mom said and i'm sure if i was doing it a bunch of other kids were probably doing it in japan too but yeah that deeply scarred me but i mean it's interesting that they decided to throw that in there i feel like it's a bold choice but I heard that that show and, like, some a couple other things definitely brought, like, an urban legend boom to mm-hmm. Japan around, like, amongst the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of really, like, famous urban legends went around when I, in the 90s because mm-hmm. of that. So it was interesting. And then the other thing was not so Japanese scary story related, but when I was, once again, I think it's just all clustered around when I was, like, three or four years old. I mean, the, that when you start like having like you're you're beginning to have tastes of your own around that time yeah i think maybe i was four or five but maybe like um yeah like preschool age Mm -hmm. uh there was a babysitter that took care of me and she had a son who was about sixth grade maybe seventh grade Mm -hmm. and i was like desperate to play with him and he was desperate not to play with me, so he used, I would be like, oh, play with me. And he's like, I will play with you if you go upstairs, turn off all the lights, and watch, like, child's play. 
like the whole movie or like most of it alone, then if you do it and you show me that you did it, then I'll play with you. So I was so desperate. I would go upstairs. I'd turn off the lights, close the door and like watch child's play by myself. And I'd be so shook, but I'd come out like expecting him to play with me. He was like gone. (laughs) And that happened like a couple times. And I feel like that also deeply (laughs) shaped. Like, I mean, it was something that was super scary, but that eventually kind of led into... Like, you being into the fear. The fear, yeah. As something fun. Like, he was playing with me, but not really. (laughs) So, because I had never seen anything so, like, exciting... Not exciting is not the right word. Intense. Yeah. Intense at that age, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're watching freaking Sesame Street, so... Mm. So... Something as scariest child's play would definitely those three things are huge for me but i don't know if you have anything else um i think for me i know my parents didn't really care about like ratings for um what we watched so we would watch like like violence scary stuff whatever as Mm -hmm. long as it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything sexual like (laughs) we're just watching it with my parents Mm -hmm. and i we watched it (laughs) Mm, yeah that also on elm street fairly young like i think when we first came to america my parents really just didn't care they just wanted to watch as many shows and movies as possible Mm -hmm. to like improve their english Mm -hmm. so um for my younger brother he was so scared of clowns (laughs) and so scared of nightmare on elm street and i I mean understandable (laughs) part of my love of those horror movies was because of how much he was scared of <laughs> so I definitely would like I'd draw clowns and like put it up on his side of the room and be like look your sister drew these things for you and he would be horrified and terrified and tear them down like I definitely remember um I don't know if anyone remembers like the Ghostbusters animated mm-hmm, show I love that show yeah there was a clown in one of those episodes that I think haunted your dreams, like Freddy. I okay, can't remember. Yeah, but it haunted his dreams. And <laughs> I drew that clown, and like I work as an illustrator now, so I'm just gonna say it was probably a pretty well done clown. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I guess for me, my my love of horror comes from scaring my brother. I was gonna say you're probably his childhood drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm that terrible sixth grade boy, <laughs> but. Okay, on the other end, my brother, he, he's not as into horror, not mm-hmm. like you, so. I don't think my brother is either, and he also, I mean, he didn't seek it out, but he accidentally see me watching stuff, <laughs> and he would, like, cry. <laughs> cry himself <laughs> to bed at night, and then I'd get in trouble later. Yeah. So, but and yeah. I, I think I mean, everyone, I think everyone of our generation grew up with, like, goosebumps Mm -hmm. and scary stories. Definitely, yeah. Was it scary stories we tell in the dark or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. The one with the really creepy covers. Amazing illustrations, yeah. Yeah. So, So. I feel like, um... And then that plus Ito Junji, it's definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. combined with Ito Junji. Like, I feel like Ito Junji, it's, like, scary, but also kind of approachable. Like, it stuck with you, and it was very scary, but, I mean, I read it fairly young and mm-hmm. it stuck with me but the imagery is like... very very memorable so yeah. very interesting yeah. but yeah i guess those are <laughs> things <laughs> yeah i mean i'm always interested to see what people how people got into horror so yeah 
Very curious. Mm-hmm. Now we're deep in it, so <laughs> we're deep in it. But yeah, so now on to the first story. So this next story is from Uezato Hiroshi. He is a musician, singer. I think he's the vocalist of a band called Half-Life. And I've heard him recently on a lot of scary story channels. Because um, he's from a small island in Okinawa called Miyakojima. And in Okinawa, there are these shamans called the Yuta. And his grandma was one of them. I'll probably... And he'll explain more about what that is. And we'll probably talk about it afterwards. But since he was young, his grandmother used to take him with her whenever she went around to do her Yuta duties. The island he grew up on had kind of a lot of odd spots, like places that almost seemed like they were from a movie or something. And for example, there was this one town that's said to be the oldest town on the island. And this town has these two Tori gates, which are Shinto temple gates. The first Tori gate at the entrance of the town has uh, cow bones hanging from the gate with a well next to it. And when you go further in, there's another Tori gate, but this one, people are only allowed to pass through this gate once every four years. Because they say that gods pass through this gate, so humans aren't allowed to pass through it all the time. So once every four years, the schools and businesses in the whole town will shut down, and everyone in the town will pass through this gate. Is it like they get a blessing when they go through it? They they pray at the end, at the mm-hmm. temple in the very end, and... So they they do this every four years. But other than those, that one day, they're not Mm -hmm. allowed to go through. And it's kind of, yeah, this island is very mysterious and spiritual. And so every four years when this town does this event, his grandmother got called to the town to do her Utah duties for this. And he would tag along with her. She would take him. And literally all day, she would be chanting and praying right by the Tory gate that everyone is passing through. Mm -hmm. And she did this 24 hours, practically. And while she's doing this, she's wearing, I guess, um, like, the Utahs wear this leaf mm-hmm. helmet mm-hmm. thing. Like, it really looks like a helmet. They wear that as they do their blessings for the town. And also, it seems like those shaman powers that his grandmother has probably got passed down to him. Because ever since he was a child, he would often have these odd encounters with things not of this world. His grandma would also kind of test him and take him to places and would point somewhere and ask, what do you see over there? And he would reply, I see a man over there on fire. And then she'll be satisfied with that. Or another time, they were walking by an abandoned house and she would ask again, what do you see over there? And he would reply, oh, there are a lot of arms and legs sticking out of that house. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's somehow worse than ghosts. My arms and legs, like, what happened to that house if that's what's sticking out of it? And his grandma's like, okay, <laughs> cool, <laughs> you have powers. He said to be truthful, growing up he hated having these powers and doing this with his grandmother. And he said as he hit puberty, his powers just became stronger and stronger. And this story is something that happened to him when he was in high school. And out of all the weird things that happened to him over the years, this was something that scarred him, scared him, both. (laughs) (laughs) Like, most out of anything that's happened to him. It's like the biggest trauma in his life. (laughs) And he was saying this was a difficult time for him anyway, since 
like he was in high school and him and his mother were discussing his future and it just was not going very smoothly because he wanted to go into music and become a musician and his mother was super against it and he was raised in a single mother household and his mother wanted him to become a teacher so from a young age he attended a ton of after school programs and did a lot of tutoring and stuff so like this is just like such a left turn for his mother Mm. so they fought about this a lot and at this point they hadn't spoken to each other in about a week and after a week he thought okay i probably should sit down and talk to my mom about this because we need to reach some sort of agreement like this can't go on where we're just not talking to each other so that day he was hanging out with some friends until past midnight and returned home around 1 a.m ish and when he came home he thought oh, she's probably sleeping, but if she is awake, maybe we can talk right now because I'm in the mood to talk. So he goes to his mom's room and he opens the door and the layout of his mother's room is that on the right wall closest to the door is a vanity dresser thing and in the back of the room is her bed. So he was just assuming she was sleeping, but when he opens the door, his mother is awake and is sitting in front of the vanity in the dark. So he says, oh, you're awake. Uh, I know we haven't spoken to each other in a week, but do you mind if we talked a bit right now? But she ignores him completely and doesn't reply or even look at him. And he thinks, oh, is she still mad at me? And this starts to really annoy him. Like he's trying to talk to her, but she's just completely like icing him out. And he starts shouting, throwing stuff onto the ground, like tissue boxes and stuff. And he's just like really frustrated because she's not getting any reaction from his mother. And yeah, he does all this. He's like shouting, throwing, but still no reaction from his mother. So he just leaves and goes to his room. But he keeps thinking about how she ignored him and it just doesn't sit well with him. He can't go to sleep like that. So he goes back to his mom's room and opens the door and says again, hey, can't we talk? But his mother is just still sitting there in front of the vanity, just ignoring him. But now something feels off. So he looks around the room and he sees his mother sleeping in her bed in the back of the room. And at first he thinks, am I seeing that right? But keeps like looking at her and he can clearly see his mother sleeping in the back. He then gets scared and in order to organize his thoughts, he leaves the room and goes back to his room. And he thinks, that's so weird, but I guess maybe it's the usual, like, thing I go to. Like, I I see spirits, so is that the usual? It's another spirit that I see, but this time in my house. So he goes back to his mother's room and opens the door and looks in. And he still sees his mother sitting at the vanity and his mother sleeping in the back. So then he thinks, yeah, this is definitely the usual. Like, those are spirits. So he starts shaking from fear. But through the fear, he suddenly feels super worried for his mother since she was sleeping so close to whatever was sitting at the vanity. So now he wants to save her from whatever is going on here. So he starts tiptoeing slowly along the left wall. And just by instinct, he said he had a feeling that no matter what, he shouldn't look into the mirror and see the reflection of whatever is sitting in front of the vanity. So he tiptoes to his mother's bed and with his head down looking at the ground, And he starts shaking his mother, trying to wake her up. But no matter how much he shakes her, she won't wake up. 
So now he thinks maybe something happened to her already. Like, mm. the spirit is making her not wake up. Mm. And he's just so scared at this point. So he tiptoes back to his room. <laughs> and he's just, like, in his room shaking. But then he also thinks, like, I, I need to save my mom. I need to save my mom. So then he once again, like, slowly goes to his mom's room and, like, peeks in. And he still sees both moms there. So he thinks, okay, this is really bad. Like, I just have this feeling, like a gut feeling that something bad is going to happen. So his grandmother, who is a Yuta, like uh, the shaman, lives about five, ten minutes away by bicycle. So he decides he's going to go get his grandmother to try to help his mother. So he puts on his shoes and he opens the front door. And that's when his mother comes home. Mm. And when he sees his mother at the door, he's so shocked. His knees went weak and he like, collapsed at the door <laughs> and he just didn't know what was going on. Just like his mind was just like everywhere. And it turned out his mother's company had some sort of company party. So she drank with her coworkers till very, very late at night and like came home super late and like drunk. So she was kind of drunk when he was telling her everything that just happened. But she said he he said she sobered up so fast because she got so scared. <laughs> and they went together to go check on her room. But this time, both mothers were gone when oh, they looked into the room. No. <laughs> and so they were like, okay, well, we should still go to your grandmother. Yeah. So they go and they tell their grandmother everything. And the grandmother comes over to their house to purify and like cleanse their home. And she does all the rituals and the cleansing. But he said after she did this whole like ritual, she started to act strange and like was never the same again after mm. this whole event. Like, after she finished the ritual cleansing, purifying thing, she started to walk, like, sleepwalk at night by herself. Or, like, they would find her in her room at night, and her face is completely painted white with, like, super bright red paint or lipstick on her lips. Mm -hmm. And she's just standing in the middle of her room. No. And eventually, one day, it just led to this whole thing where she started screaming and then she ran out of her house and ran straight into, um, on Miyakojima, they have a very famous uh, triathlon. So she, while screaming, she ran in front of a bunch of cyclists competing in this tri triathlon and yeah. got trampled. And she hasn't died, but she's been in a coma since that day. And she's never woken up. Oh my god. So he's like, not sure if this was something like a god from the island caused or a bad spirit caused this, but it's definitely something that scares him to this day. Yeah, I mean, that is scarring whether or not his grandma even had, like, the situation afterwards. Yeah. Like, just, like, the double mom. Double mom. Really you're supposed creepy. to feel, like, safe, especially because his grandma's a Utah and stuff. And, yeah. Like, you're supposed to feel safe at home and seeing that. Yeah. Like, fake mother situations are very... <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, I mean, it's like, or like spirits that copy the look of somebody you yeah, know. Like, un, like strange elements within your home because it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a home invasion. You mm -hmm. don't feel as safe in your own home anymore. I feel like if I was the mother, I would not <laughs> want to sleep in that room anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like he was able to touch, like he was shaking. Yeah, he was like touching and screaming. So he was interacting with whatever spirit whatever was there. Whatever was there. So it's super, super creepy. And this story, like, uh, there's so many great Okinawa stories. Mm-hmm. Like, just that culture, the Yuta shaman culture is so interesting in Okinawa. Mm. And I also heard that uh, the shaman powers get passed down. They skip a generation. That's why a lot of people who have grandmas as yutas also have the power. Mm. So for him, I guess it skipped his mother's (laughs) generation. But there's another comedian named Yasu that also has a grandmother who is a yuta. And his stories are so good. (laughs) So many yuta grandmas. (laughs) Uh, they, there are so many Yutas in Okinawa. Like, mm. so many. There's a saying, I'm gonna butcher this, but it's like, half doctor, half Yuta. Mm. They say, like, if the, do- the doctor can't fix it, then go to a Yuta. Mm. So it's like, like, very ingrained in their culture. Mm-hmm. And also I've heard, um, I've never been to Okinawa, but apparently, like, the taxi drivers, like, you can ask them, like, sometimes they know a good, like, recommendation for Yutas <laughs> if you ask them. Mm. They're like, oh, be careful, though, because a lot of them are kind of scammy, but... Yeah. But sometimes they'll actually take you to, like, a legit Yuta, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. I think you said, like, one of the... Was it the the comedian one or the musician one where he says, like, oh, if you go to, like, the very touristy areas... Those mm-hmm. are, like, those are scam, fake. yeah. Like, there's a super, like, a shopping area that all mm-hmm. the tourists go to. Like, if you see, like, a Utah shack there, some of them might be real, but a lot of them are kind of, like, fake Utahs. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to actually go, like, deeper in. And in Okinawa, they have a lot of areas, like, parks where Utahs train. <gasps> and there's signs there they're like oh from this point on like only yutas can come in here it's like their training ground and there's stories of people who tried to go in but they like pass out or something because the spiritual energy is too much so it's very interesting this whole yuta culture is very unique to okinawa Mm -hmm. very interesting also um i mean if i ever go to okinawa i do want to get these but uh they sell these beads Mm -hmm. like a little bracelet i think I mean, they were kind of popular here, too. They still are. Oh, like the, the prayer bead, prayer bead, bead bracelet, bracelet yeah. things. But if you get the ones in Okinawa blessed by Yuta, it's supposed to be, like, the most powerful. Like, it'll protect mm. you. And it'll, um, I think it's supposed to protect you, like, one big time. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll take the place of, like, whatever bad thing that's supposed to, like, happen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I've also heard people from Okinawa saying that, like, um... Like, they had a friend who had a Yuta bead on. <laughs> and at the time, they're all, like, shitty high schoolers, and they didn't believe that it had any power. So yeah. one time, he had, like, taken it off during PE because he didn't want to, like, you know, get it scuffed mm. up or anything. And he put it in his, like, locker. Mm. But him, this guy, and a bunch of friends are being assholes, and they're like, oh, look, like, these are my special, like, beads. And they're, like, mm. playing around with it, put it on and stuff. When... The guy came back and he, like, put his beads on it. They, like, shattered. Because you're not supposed to, since it's, like, such a powerful thing, like, there's a thing where you can't let anyone else other than yourself touch it. Otherwise, the power is gone. Yeah. So, it's, like, (laughs) 
they they like, fucked him over. What happened? My yeah, beans. <laughs> my beans. What happened right now? And they're like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. They just explode sometimes. Maybe something happened. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I would want those beads though. Mm-hmm. And um, so earlier he was talking about how there was that Tory Gate town. Mm-hmm. He had another story about those Tory Gates about three of his friends who were like oh i don't believe in that mm-hmm. like i were let's go through it like mm-hmm. as kind of like a courage test type thing mm-hmm. and at night they were like we're gonna go through the gates even though it's not that one day of the year <laughs> every four years it's like we're not scared <laughs> and but he his grandmother for him mm-hmm. told him no matter what he cannot go through there and he since he does have the powers he has seen like kind of some horrific stuff yeah so he like refused he's like i'm not going and i kind of don't want you guys to go either yeah but they're like oh whatever just go home then so he went home and his friends went through and later that night after he got home he got like a text from them being like it was nothing like it was fine like we're all good Mm -hmm. except one of them was just like i'm good but when i passed through the gates i think i saw some like black shadowy type stuff moving in the back but he's like well but i'm okay i don't feel weird or anything and they're just like oh okay well that's good you guys are okay but then he said pretty soon afterwards all three of them like injured their right foot pinky toe like one of them was swimming in the ocean when um a fishing hook went through his pinky toe and then this other guy, he was playing soccer and his pinky toe broke. And then the guy that saw the shadow, he was also like playing at the ocean. He dove off a cliff to dive into the water mm-hmm. and his pinky toe got nicked by a rock <gasps> and it ripped off. What? All these so accidents? <laughs> his accident was the worst and he's yeah. the one that saw the black shadow so he's like i don't know if this is just like a warning from the gods being like don't fuck around here yeah next time we'll take more than just your just pinky your toe. little pinky toe so he's like yeah that's just i wasn't gonna go through it but seeing my friends go through that i definitely don't want to go through <laughs> like i'm not gonna mess around with that juju mm-hmm. <laughs> bad juju or good juju i mean it's supposed to be protecting the village right so yeah and i've also for the tori gate thing i don't know if it's like multiple i've seen photos of like the once a year or four times once every four years Mm -hmm. the villagers will go and walk past the tory gate they like take off their shoes in front of the tory gate too they walk barefoot across (laughs) like through i guess it's like oh like the shoes are dirty so (laughs) show respect Asian style. Asian style. <laughs> you walk into my home, you take your you shoes off. You take your off. shoes off. It doesn't matter what kind of home. <laughs> but yeah, it's very interesting. And Okinawa just... There are customs and traditions that are just so unique mm-hmm. to like... I mean, Japan in general too. It's an island country, so they have already unique customs. Mm-hmm. But if you go to Okinawa, it's an island of an island. Mm-hmm. And if you go to another offset island, it's just like the traditions get like more and more very, very like unique. I guess it's like if and you're unchanged. So off the mainland, like you're not following like trends as much, mm-hmm. and you're just you hold you on follow to your, your traditions, more. customs. So they have a very, very unique customs, which are super super fascinating and this one is definitely super interesting 
I've always wanted to go to Okinawa, but now I definitely want to go to Okinawa. Before it was for like the beaches and stuff, but yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, before we were just like, let's go for food and like nature. Now I want to go see a Yuta. <laughs> hover near a Yuta training ground. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hover, not go in. Yeah, so it was very interesting. And also, just the. I don't know, it's kind of related, but not quite. Just the passing down, like, powers, mm-hmm. skipping a generation, reminds me that my great-grandfather, he also was, like, he's not a shaman, but he was, like, a spiritual advisor of <laughs> the village. Like, super trash father, super trash <laughs> husband, but had spirit powers. <laughs> makes up for him. it didn't make up for him but, but like i mean he was so like I, I guess when he died my grandma was saying like the two people closest to him like in the futon area was like not her or her mother it was like these two young like good-looking men were like sobbing and they're like sensei like <laughs> no <laughs> And my grandma and her, my great grandma was just ice cold. Like, <laughs> it's like I don't feel anything. But he that. he was able to like predict stuff for the village. Like he had very very like profound powers. Apparently, like I mean I don't know because it's my great grandfather. But I mean I guess it it didn't skip. It just evaporated because it's not like you or your mom or. Well, that was the thing I was gonna talk about. Like oh. my mom, so. Growing up, it's not like she ever saw ghosts, but there was this one story that she always told me that kind of stuck with me. (laughs) This happened to her when she was a a little girl, like Uh really little, maybe like six or seven years old. Uh, Her village in Kyushu, she lives in like the middle of nowhere. They don't really have any movie theaters or anything there, Uh but the community center would often like rent movies Uh and like show the whole village. Uh And it was one of those events she finished watching the movie and she was walking back by herself and there was like a park on the way home and she just casually looked over to the park and it was empty she thought except she saw in the corner of the park there was a man standing there and he had his arms and legs like just wide like out Mm -hmm. but he was all white like paper white like, painted white or just, like, very pale? To her, she it, it almost looked painted white because he was mm-hmm. so white from head to toe, just all white, just standing there, not moving. Naked? She didn't say if he was, like, wearing underwear or something, but she said she was just all white, like, just <laughs> no hair, all painted white almost. <laughs> Man was standing in the corner of the park, like, just frozen like that, and she wasn't sure. Like, she was scared. Yeah. So she just, like, quickly went home Mm -hmm. and like to this day she doesn't know if that was like a real person or a spirit Mm -hmm. somehow if it was a real person that's worse in my mind (laughs) yeah because it's like one thing if this is happening in the city like yeah there's kooks everywhere but Mm -hmm. so in the countryside that's like a neighbor yeah or a spirit i know um so the area of kyushu that she's from is called tagawa and it's it was when she was a child and before that it was a coal mining town mm. 
So there is a lot of, like, I mean, sad things happen, obviously, in coal mining towns where, like, accidents and a ton of people die or, mm-hmm. like, stuff like that happens all over. So, I mean, but then I feel like, I don't know, just listening to it, I assumed the ghost would maybe be black then somehow. Yeah, because the coal mines? Yeah. So I don't understand the all white, but that's really creepy. Yeah. I mean, I guess white signifies death in Asia. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I mean, it could be a spirit or it could be just a crazy person that, like, took off his clothes and painted himself white. <laughs> and was just standing there. So creepy. Both situations is horrific. Yeah, all, all situations pretty creepy. So that's, like, her one kind of ghost story-esque type thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to know more about my great-grandfather, but I think since he was such, like, trash father, <laughs> like, people don't really want to talk about it. I just know he had some sort of power but it skipped over my grandma mm-hmm. and maybe showed up like a smidge in my mom <laughs> and then probably nothing in me because <laughs> i've never seen anything but interesting interesting mm-hmm. so this next story is from a storyteller named murakami rock uh, he is one of the scary storytellers at the Tokyo Thriller Night mm. Scary Story Bar. And he told this story for the 100 Scary Story Night for that bar. And he said this is a story he heard from somebody who came to the bar. And it's a story about his friend, so the customer's friend. So this man's friend, after he graduated college, he got hired to work for this railway company. And during his first year of working for that company, there was an accident during the day at one of the stations that he was working at. And as the accident was, when one of the trains were coming in, a woman jumped off the platform in front of the train. So at this point, everyone is panicked, like scrambling at the station. And like the train did an emergency stop, but like it was too late. And it was truly, truly a horrific sight, like just blood and parts everywhere scattered everywhere yeah it's really really horrific and he was super shaken by the scene because i mean this is his first year in but he said he couldn't stay too shaken for too long because his senior like worker senior office senpai Mm -hmm. calls him and says like hey you come and help too so for most railway companies when something like this happens they'll call the police to come and handle the collecting of the body and the cleanup. But the company he worked for, the it was part of the railway worker's job to collect Aww. the body, like, for efficiency reasons, which is so horrific. Oh so horrific. So bad. I feel like this <laughs> railway company, the workers do not um, stay for a long time. Yeah. If I was there, I'd be like, as soon as I go through my first, like, suicide railroad situation no i'm, I'm like, i can't I'm i can't out now bye <laughs> yeah even seeing that like is yeah. not great so then yeah his senior officer says come come on let's go and like collect the body so he and the other railway workers like pretty much they go they rush out and they quickly work to like carefully collect up all the body parts mm-hmm. and they're collecting up everything and they're like looking everywhere but no matter how hard they look they're not able to find this woman's left arm from the elbow down 
It's just mm-hmm. missing. They cannot find it anywhere. So his senpai tells him, uh, sometimes when something like this happens, like parts get thrown really far away. Like, can you go down the track that way to check to see if the arm is over there? So he's like, yes, sir. And he starts running <laughs> down the tracks. And that's where he finds the left arm. And since this accident, like, literally just happened, he sees that the arm is still bleeding from where it was ripped off. Ugh, just... Yeah, yeah. And he's about to shout, like, oh, I found it. When he hears his senior senpai behind him yell, hey, we found it. And he's super confused, but he takes the arm he found and runs back to where the other workers are. And when he returns, he sees his senpai holding a left arm from the elbow down. So now they're all confused, like, which one is the woman's arm? And they figure out by, like, kind of matching up the color of the skin and how the fingers look (laughs) that the arm that his senpai was holding is from the woman who had jumped. Mm -hmm. So then now they're like, wait, what's this other arm that we found, like, 70 feet away? And so the storyteller, like, Murakamuaka is saying, so up to this point, this is a very, like, common premise for a lot of scary stories related to, like, train stations. But the crazy thing about this story is... So the woman who jumped, when they checked her right arm, when they were trying to figure out, like, which arm is the right one, they found there was a handprint on her wrist. Like, someone squeezed it super tight. And then they thought, "Mm, it can't be right. But then they try, they place the hand that they found, like, 70 feet. (laughs) They place it on the handprint and it matches perfectly. I mean, they can't say for sure, right? They're not, like, police. police. But as far as they can see, like, it matches perfectly with the handprint on the right arm. So, and then later they ask the witnesses. There was other people waiting for the train. So they ask the witnesses, like, what they saw. And they all say, they said that they only saw her jump. Like, just one person. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, who does this arm belong to? And just to this day, they don't. Where's the rest of the body? Like, nothing. Nobody. So to this day, nobody knows what, but it's just like a weird, odd story that everyone keeps just like thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, just like, what does it mean? Like, was it a ghost? Was it a real person? Because there's a physical arm that was ripped off from somewhere. It's like, it's not like witnesses being like, oh, I saw her and it looked like she was being yanked. Like, they're just like, Mm -hmm. no, what could that arm be? I'm thinking, like, I'm not sh- like, was it possible they were all just not paying attention? And by the time they looked, like, she had already, like, mm-hmm. so the, the person who was pulling was, like, gone. But yeah, but the then, rest, I mean, they just walked off with no arm. With no arm? <laughs> How does it rip that cleanly? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I The other thing they were talking about was that it might be, like, a curse. Mm. So, like, maybe... Somebody sacrificed their arm to do... They hated this woman. They cursed her. Mm. So that's why somehow the arm just materialized there. <laughs> That also is kind of a stretch, but... Yeah. <laughs> or if it's a spirit, why is there, like, a fresh arm? So yeah. it's just... Yeah, it's so weird, so creepy. But the most horrific part of the story is the fact that the railway <laughs> workers have to... Crazy because it's like, I don't. I mean, there's certain jobs where it's like, yes, you expect that you're going to have to see some bodies. I assume a cop, 
most definitely forensic scientists. If you're a railway worker, you're not like, oh yeah, I'm going to have to handle some dead bodies every once But in I'm a while. assuming from his reaction, he probably knew he was told during the orientation that this is part of his job. <laughs> and he was, I guess, okay with that. And his senpai is definitely okay with that. <laughs> Maybe, I guess, I they guess get used to it. I guess after a while you desensitize. Yeah, I mean, he was saying he tries not to think about it. Yeah. Like, he just does his job. But that's rough. That's so rough. And it's like, when a train hits a person's body. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't. But yeah, so. And like, I guess it happens pretty off. I mean, it makes sense on the efficiency. Like, Japan's all about, like, for trains especially, like, efficiency, right? Yeah, like, they yeah. don't want to be late for anything. Yeah. That's how a lot of accidents happen, where they're trying to, like, catch up. Yeah. But, like, really, like, to this point, like... <laughs> also, yeah, like, like, how... Oh, to be so efficient, we're not going to wait for the cops. And then, like, if they did wait for the cops, could the cops have at least figured out who the arm was? Yeah, probably. And, like, how can they... Yeah, I don't understand how that's allowed. Yeah, because I feel like here, like, don't they have to take, like, photos of the location? Because, like, what if they, like, tamper with... If it wasn't suicide or if it wasn't... like, pretty much by having a railway worker handling all of this, they technically tampered the scene. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, like, if there's nobody who said the person was pushed, it's just deemed a suicide. So maybe that's Mm -hmm. not, like as important but yeah it's just a it's a bad situation i mean he did say most railway companies do not allow this like it's like yeah. you call the cops there's like steps you take yeah and let the cops like handle everything <laughs> but there's <laughs> but there's also a couple that like live by their own <laughs> rule book <laughs> wild western railroad a horrible horrible situation so it was it's a scary story on many levels. Mm. So that's it for Kaidan this week. Um, last week, I think we mentioned we have an Instagram where we'll post up show notes and photos and stuff related to the episode. So if you want to check out, <laughs> see what some interesting stuff from the stories. This week, I'll probably try to put up some Okinawa-related photos. Mm-hmm. So... At Kaidan Scary Stories on Instagram. Yes. And yeah, till next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.